The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house! Sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Murray. Aaron, week five of the college football season is in the books. The games are getting better, and more importantly, we have a ton of storylines that are getting juicy as this 2018 campaign continues to rock and roll. Follow us on social media. We are at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11 and I am at Drew Butler 13. Of course, we're going to talk about what went down on the football field this past weekend. We'll recap the games that we previewed last Thursday. We're going to give you the Ray Guy Award punters of the week, as we always do, as well as the Davey O'Brien Award quarterbacks of the week. Aaron. So much went down on the football field, but not only in between the lines, storylines. Storylines are really developing throughout the season, and a bunch of stuff is exciting and interesting. And one thing that we talked at length about a week ago was former Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant transferring and Trevor Lawrence, the true freshman, being named the starter. You and I disagreed on how Kelly Bryant's decision would be perceived in the public eye. But one thing that we did talk about was what would happen if Trevor Lawrence were to get injured. And Saturday at noon against Syracuse at home, that exact thing happened. Yeah, and it, but for Trevor Lawrence going forward, you got to protect yourself. I mean, that was, I don't know if you saw it or not, but that oh, yeah. was just a, it was a dumb play. I mean, you're going out to your left. You're not going to gain any yards, and that, that's just a freshman moment where you think you're back in high school. You're going to be able to run for the first down because he is—he's pretty athletic. Just get out of bounds. The guys are bigger, they're faster, they're stronger, and those hits will take a toll on you. And that just wasn't a smart move on his point, especially him understanding that. Listen, we don't have a legitimate backup behind no. me, or at least they thought so. I mean, listen, Chase Bryce came in and looked pretty good for a young quarterback who has played limited in his career going on there was like 7 to 13 83 yards he did throw a pick but had a great drive to finish that game for Clemson to win big fourth down conversion that that corner throw uh, he threw on the right side to, on that fourth and five I believe that was an impressive throw but still you're not going to win games for Clemson if Chase Price is your quarterback you need Travis Trevor Lawrence out there he needs to stay healthy 
so he needs to be a little bit smarter going forward. So uh, listen, what's done has been done when it comes to <laughs> Kelly Bryant. Yes. He's not coming back. Dabo said it. he's not coming back. They've moved on as a team. It stinks. It's exactly what you said. And you know, what happens if he gets hurt? I think that that was everyone's main question, but he needs to play smarter. And then listen, this team was built to dominate defensively. Yes. That's what they're built. They were built and they showed that. And they've got a good run majority. game too. Yeah, they got a great run game, but defense is what will win this team. The defensive line, they were dominant for Syracuse, uh, causing turnovers, uh, putting pressure on Eric Dungey. But I flipped the ball on offense. Um, first off, Clemson, and, and I was I was one I was on the side of this, this Clemson team is elite. This is a good Clemson team. Yes. This is not this is not an elite team. And maybe we're just pampered because we watch um, or brainwashed maybe because we watch Alabama and we see Alabama dominate and just think everyone is just average. It, which is it's hard. It is hard. That might be Alabama true. Has set, <laughs> Alabama has set the bar so high. Very true. And now we watch all these other games like, oh, they're just average. They're okay. They're good. But really, if, if Alabama was just like a normal team and they're just winning in the way you should win games, close, tough fourth quarters, then maybe you'd say, okay, Clemson is elite. But Alabama is just whooping everyone's butt so bad that no one looks like they're even close on their level. Alabama scored seven touchdowns in the first half this past week, regardless of who it was against. They played Louisiana Lafayette, but 49 points in the first half off of seven touchdowns. That's crazy. And before we talk a little bit more about the Kelly Bryant thing and the Trevor Lawrence situation, let me just say this for Clemson fans. You guys went to Texas A&M and found a way to win on the road in a hostile environment. Kudos to you. You guys took everything you had to beat Syracuse, who was an undefeated team. And I think, you know, Eric Dungey's a good quarterback here. And Syracuse is not the, the Syracuse orange football team of the past where they're not going to win more than Listen, six Listen, Syracuse beat them eligible. last year. Exactly. So, so They beat them last year. I think a lot goes to show, and a lot should be said for Clemson, finding ways to win in four-quarter battles. Things that we haven't seen other teams in the top five do regardless. But... We talked about it at length last week, and I mentioned to you, Aaron, I go, I understood that Kelly Bryant was, quote, making the best decision for himself by taking advantage of the new redshirt rule, saving a year of eligibility, and transferring after the fourth game when he was benched. But I said to you, as a former player and somebody in that locker room, it sat with me the wrong way. I took it as him quitting on his football team. He was the starter for 18 games prior, won a conference championship, played in the college football playoff, won that game at Texas A&M, got some news that he didn't necessarily agree with, and he transferred. He left the team. He quit on his teammates. And I think around the third quarter of this past Saturday's game, when Syracuse was beating Clemson, I would think that his former teammates and the fans in the stands and the alumni and the boosters inside the stadium were probably agreeing with me. Wow, Kelly Bryant left us in a bad, bad spot. It was a selfish decision on his part. Yes, he's looking out for himself, but man, you're a part of a team. There is something bigger than you, and he could have been the savior, and who knows, Aaron, if he closes out that game, maybe Trevor Lawrence doesn't play but you for can't the rest predict, of the year. He, he can't predict that on Monday. But that's when he why you don't transfer. You, no, you think about where, where, where can I put myself in the best situation? 
where can I next year play football work? What's that? Go to the NFL. No, you're not going to get drafted or go where you want to go. If you're sitting on the bench for, you know, three fourths of the season, you need to go somewhere and play an entire season and be the guy. Listen, you and I, we had it last <laughs> week. We're not going to agree on the situation. I think it was a smart move by him. Listen, the, it presented itself. The rules state you can transfer. This is not his fault that the committee changed the rules heading into the season. He's taken advantage of it, and good for him. You need to think about yourself as a student athlete. You put to yourself first. Listen, to he's a team point? player, but he's not, oh, he's not helping anyone by sitting on the bench. No, you're right. He's not helping anyone. He's not helping himself, but he's surely not helping his teammates and only helping himself by making that decision to transfer Regardless, Trevor Lawrence is the starter. You mentioned it. Nasty hit. Got to be smarter than that. Looks like he may be out for a week, depending on how the concussion protocol goes at Clemson. Man, what a juicy storyline. I only think we're going to continue to talk about this, Aaron. That's not going anywhere. Another storyline that was really interesting to see really unfold on social media. And, of course, I had to get in the mix, Murray. You know how I am. Texas A&M was playing Arkansas in a great rivalry, historic rivalry. They play this game at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, and it was close. It was close late. It was a back-and-forth game. Arkansas and Chad Morris were trying to get that um, stamped big-time victory in his first season, and it was getting a little chippy, Aaron, getting chippy late in the game. Guys were chirping. Almost a fight broke out. Now, Texas A&M was up seven points. At this point, and and one of the linebackers on Texas A&M was about to start a fight. I mean, you could see it folding, unfolding right then. And Jimbo Fisher, (laughs) head coach Jimbo Fisher, he took it into his own hands, literally, no pun intended, and grabbed this kid's face mask and shook it and pretty much said, don't be an idiot. I'm not the best lip reader but I would imagine that he had a little bit more colorful language. Now, social media erupts, Aaron. NFL players are saying this is totally unacceptable. College football writers are saying, how dare he? Some sports media figures are going, Jimbo Fisher, typical Jimbo, blah, blah, blah. And I sit there and I go, really? I mean, is this what it's come to, Aaron? This is football, man. If you are acting like a complete idiot, and you could cost your team 15 yards, a huge momentum swing, first down by a personal foul, by an fighting. loss at home, too. It, exactly. Look, You're if playing you Arkansas act, here. If you act like an idiot, which this kid was, you have every right to be treated like said idiot. And Jimbo Fisher grabbed his face mask, probably said, don't be an idiot. Now, am I wrong here, Aaron, or is everybody just so weak in today's society that grabbing a player's face mask is frowned upon, and it seemed like some people were saying a fireable offense? Wow, that's a little extreme. <laughs> uh, it, it's not a fireable offense. And, and yes, the society, the society, I think everyone will agree, has definitely gone soft and very cautious, and it's it's a little sad because this is it's, it's football, it's emotional. I I don't know if grabbing the face mask was the best thing for Jimbo to do. It's moment. a little, it's a, but it, it, you say it's a very emotional game. And, and I'm sure we're going to talk about Penn state and the emotions with, with Franklin after that football game from the fans as well. It is high intensity. A lot's going on. It's emotional, especially playing an SEC game, especially about to lose a game to Arkansas. Who's looked just awful, awful. this year. A&M and, and Kellen Mond did not have the, their best day. So, 
I don't I don't think it's anything that should have been blown up. But, you know, social media just takes a couple people to get chirping and all of a sudden it's all over the place. Like I said, I think there's maybe a better way to handle the situation, but I don't think it's anything that we should freak out about by any means. Um, he's just making sure his team is disciplined. They're heading in the right direction and, and they're not costing themselves easy wins. So I'm I, I'm with you on this one. The, the society's a little too gentle right now. It's football and it's not like he punched the kid across exactly. the face. Exactly. It's, it's, like it's, not, it's not like he reared back and knocked him out or, you know, kicked him or whatever. I mean, he grabbed his face mask, got close and said, you said, don't be an idiot. Play football. Be fair. And don't cost your team a, a loss right here. So I'm with you. It's it's, but society's soft. It's soft. And one person, one person agreed with me on social media and said, Generation P, man, you can only take these guys so far. You can use your imagination for what Generation P means. But I was talking to a former coach, Aaron, and he was like, you know, what has it come to? Look, and and I'm not some like hardline old school you know, get dirty, gritty guy. But this coach said, look, it's 2018. If you practice your team too hard, you get in trouble. If you discipline your team too firmly, you get in trouble. And this coach said, if you really want to get fired quickly, hold a team prayer and see what happens. I mean, that's what it's coming to. It's like, what is going on in football these days? And you just mentioned it. Jimbo Fisher is creating an identity at Texas A&M. He is creating a disciplined regime, and, and maybe that's what it takes. Aaron, tell me this before we go on to our next subject. I wanted to tweet this out yesterday, but I feel like it would get lost in the nuance of social media. I wanted to tweet out, if you've played football at any level, high school, college, professional, whatever, I want you to respond to this tweet with the meanest thing a coach has ever said to you. I wanted a humongously long thread of tweets of just the most degrading, meanest, vulgar things that coaches have said to kids just to prove to people football is football. It's the greatest sport in the world because of the relationships you have with your teammates and because of the values that are instilled into you by your coaches. And maybe... Just maybe, sometimes they say mean things to you, Aaron. And I think society and public as a whole God, would people be only knew what Bubba used to say to me. <laughs> oh, Holy Bubba. smokes. I mean, John Fabris? The, I oh, mean, oh Fab, Coach Fab would make you feel like you don't even know what football <laughs> is. Like you can't kick, you can't throw, you can't block, oh. that you should be – you know, not even sniffing a field. I know. And then that's the thing. Like, and you love those guys and you respect them. And yes, in the heat of the moment, things might go sideways. But when you're in between the lines, it's football. And that's what makes the game so great. Speaking of not so great, Aaron, Penn State's decision to run an RPO on fourth and five when Trace McSorley was having an amazing game came back to bite him big time. And, and James Franklin and Penn State, they were walking off the field in Happy Valley, big whiteout atmosphere, and the fans were upset. I mean, one fan, and there's a great video on social media, please go to at Drew Butler 13, at Aaron Murray 11, at Punt and Pass to check it out. I tweeted this out, Aaron. This fan goes, come on, Coach Franklin, fourth and five, you can't run the ball. And Coach Franklin said, what? And the fan goes, I love you, man, but you can't run the ball on fourth and five. And James Franklin proceeds to try to get out of the grasp of his security guard's arms and, and 
buck at the fan, act like he was going to jump in the stands, and fight a fan. Now, what's worse, Jimbo Fisher grabbing a face mask and disciplining one of his own players, or James Franklin acting like he's going to fight an actual fan in the stands? Oh, it's it, it's it's Franklin. But, I mean, he apologized immediately. He got back into his press conference. And okay, hey, I did not see that. got the best of me. I apologize. I screwed up. So he, he manned up, and he said, I made a mistake. And I, I think that's him because that was – that I agree. That was a worse moment, but like I said, he he apologized for it. So I think that was big of him to do. I mean, he could have brushed it off and said the fan's an idiot. He should have said anything, but he he manned up. So, but I agree that was an awful football call. Trace was having an incredible game, not just throwing the football. I mean, he's made some great throws, but running the ball. Ohio State. I'm like, what are you doing? First of all, they had this this little thick linebacker number 32 for Ohio State who I think you could run a faster 40 than him out there trying to cover <laughs> trace when he got off and run. I'm like, this guy has zero chance of catching trace McSurley. When he takes off, put in, put a nickel DB in there, put your most athletic linebacker in there, get this kid out of the game. He can't spy the quarterback. I mean, it was driving me nuts all day for Ohio state. Yes. He may be one of your top linebackers. Yes. He may be a great run stuff stuffer, but what killed Ohio state the entire game was trace getting the ball going through his reads and then taking off using his legs, making first down after first down after big play after big play running the ball. And Ohio State just did not change defensively, which drove me nuts. But that also drove me nuts to the last play call of the game. Spread Ohio State out. Yes. Let Trace throw the football. And he was doing a great job, like I said, of when we weren't there, taking off and getting the first down with his legs. Why, why narrow him to two options of either hand the ball off or run it, or maybe a quick slant on the RPO game, uh, if that presented himself. Spread the field. He's a smart quarterback. He's been in the system. He knows how to get through his checks and then take off. So I agree with the fans, and I think everyone <laughs> yes. can agree that that was just a bad play call by James Franklin and his staff. No doubt. And, and the run happened so quickly in that RPO, Aaron, and it almost seemed like a designed run I think that's why fans were so baffled I mean I was watching the game like oh my god did that just happen and I rewound it and I rewound it and they were trips left they put a little motion in so they knew they had man coverage right the number 86 a defensive end for Ohio State absolutely whooped the left tackle's ass he was in the backfield in no time and McSorley saw him that's who was reading the RPO off of and just let the ball go but you said it best. Spread Ohio State out. Put the ball in McSorley's hands, and if nothing's open, let him scatter around and try to get a first down. Well, I this mean, is this is this just reminds me last year of the Rose Bowl when Ohio or excuse me Oklahoma, in overtime did not put the ball in Baker Mayfield's hand. It's like you have the Heisman Trophy winner, and you're gonna want, run a jet sweep and you're gonna run the football. Spread it out. Let him get through his reads, and then let him be magical with his legs. Something that we know he could do. And this was the same thing. When it's nut cut cutting time, put the ball in your best player's hand and no one's going to, if, if you don't get the first down, no one's going to disagree with your actions. But if you don't put it in his hands and you lose, then you're going to look like a complete idiot when in Oklahoma looked like it last yeah. year in the Rose bowl. And then Franklin looked like it in this past game right now. Yeah. Best player needs the ball. I don't care what sport you're in. You see it in basketball. You see it in baseball with the pitcher. You see it in football, depending on if it's a running back or quarterback. The ball needs to be in their hand at the end of the game. Keep in mind, they were just trying to get set up for a field goal, too. They lost that game 37 
to 36. All right. Wow. Lots of storylines. And let's get into what happened on the field. And before we talk about the games that we previewed last week, Aaron, let's hand out some awards. I want to give you week five's Ray Guy Award, Punters of the Week. The punt is the most important play in football. I will fight you if you disagree with me. The punt is the only play in football, Aaron, that averages 40 yards of field position change. So, again, I'll tell you, the punt is the most important play in football, and here are Ray's eight, the top eight punters from week five of college football. Braden Mann from Texas A&M, he's had a really good season. Drew Christman from Ohio State, he certainly helped back up Penn State a lot and get the Buckeyes out with a victory. A team that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, Aaron, Max Duffy from Kentucky is on that list. Week 1's winner, Mitch Wisnowski from Utah. Oscar Bradburn from Virginia Tech. Sterling Hoffrichter from Syracuse. Tyler Newsom from Notre Dame. And Zach Siner from Oklahoma State. So check back in on Thursday when we announce who the Ray Guy Award punter of the week is for week five. Aaron, you might disagree with me when I tell you that the punt is the most important play in football, but I think we can all agree that the quarterback is probably the most important position. Oh, it's not even close. So this week, another great week, some new quarterbacks making the list. Uh, so I'll start with the top. John Wasink from Western Michigan. Little okay. five tutty game, six touchdown game, had one rushing. Joe Burrow, just getting better. Oh, I mean, yeah. Just listen, I'm going to be less salty to, towards Burrow. He is getting better and better every single week. Three touchdowns and then another uh, rushing touchdown. Will Greer, my boy, back in action, just crushing it. Three touchdowns, big game for him. And then no one outbeat, though. Kyler Murray, seven total touchdowns, wow. 17 and 21. Nathan Rourke from Ohio. Uh, had a big day, three touchdowns, and then uh, adding a fourth with a rushing. Ian Book, Notre Dame, just stealing the high soul out of Stanford. I am. I mean, listen, he's had two great games against good competition, so great for him. Marcus McMarion from Fresno State. Get to watch him in a couple of weeks. Excited. He had four touchdowns. And then Mackenzie Milton from the defending national champs, UCF. <laughs> Six total touchdowns, had another great day, 328 yards passing and 51 yards rushing. Great quarterback play. And that, you know, that list of eight, the grade eight, the Davey O'Brien grade eight, it's fun to see who pops up week in and week out because it's just going to tell you who's going to be in line for that prestigious award towards the end of the season. So check back in on Thursday. Aaron will tell you who the Davey O'Brien Award quarterback of the week is. All right, let's read question. Yeah, question. Please, please. Question. We know, we kind of know who, who, who should be in this list every week, but he's not based on the fact that he only plays one half to Two three quarters. Two Tungo Does that hurt him um, to possibly win a Heisman? Because he's just he, not playing is, football. He, well, his stats aren't going to be comparable. When you look at him compared to, say, Will Greer, yeah. compared to these other quarterbacks who are throwing for 400 yards and well, four or five touchdowns, or Murray – they're playing four quarters. He's only playing a half of football and he's still giving, you know, playing time to Jalen or three quarters. His stats aren't going to be as sexy. You know what he should do? But, but that's the, that is that an issue or people are going to look past that and say, listen, we know he's not going to have as many touchdowns. We know he's not going to have as many, you know, Heisman type moments because Alabama is going to blow it in the water. 
but we're still going to put him in our Heisman because he is that good of a football player. No, you're right. I mean, his stat lines will certainly be different. I mean, he because, laid eight passes. Yeah, he was I mean, eight for eight. He's simply not getting a lot of reps. It's it's more quality over quantity for Tua Tungabailoa. Yeah. But if if I know you and I've been listening to you talk to me over the past couple of weeks, I know exactly what Tua Tungabailoa should do. He should quit. He should transfer and go oh, to a team. He should go to a team that will let him play four quarters every week. So you're I'll start that right here on Punt and Pass. Tua Tungabailoa should transfer from Alabama so he can play closer games and get more reps because that would be what's best for him. That would be what's best for him, Aaron. So You're an idiot. You're that, a complete will, idiot. that will start right here on Punt and Pass. Speaking of being an idiot, let's talk about the Week 5 games that we previewed. We'll run through them really quick. And on Saturday night, I put out a poll on Twitter, at DrewButler13. If you haven't gone to it, I've told you 75 times. And I asked the question, what did you learn today? Kentucky is legit. LSU can take on Alabama. Notre Dame will make the college football playoff. Or I am bad at gambling. My picks this weekend were awful, Aaron. The winner of the poll was Kentucky is legit. And in second place, I am bad at gambling. I went one and four against the spread Ooh, this past weekend. I think I was two and three. Yeah, so you went was two just a little and three. Better. But we talked about that Ohio State-Penn State game. Back and forth, Trace McSorley really kind of shut up the haters and said, I'm here, this is what I do. You and I mentioned there was two matchups that we were looking forward to seeing. Trace McSorley versus Dwayne Haskins. I would probably have to say McSorley won that battle, but the one that mattered most was Urban Meyer versus James Franklin, and we touched on it with Franklin almost fighting a fan. In situational football, James Franklin made a grave decision, and Urban Meyer just outlasted him. Yeah, I mean that was an awesome game. I mean it was it was, it was great. So for for me, I had I had a three thirty game, so I rushed back to the hotel. I had the TV on, I had my iPad on, and then I had my phone on. So I was flipping between four games at all times. So it was it was a magical night. I had a little room service and some ice cream on top of it, oh, and I was baby, the happiest little fat kid in the world <laughs> up in Connecticut. But I, agree. I mean Dwayne Haskins, he showed. Um, that he's still a very good quarterback. Listen, I'm not jumping off a train. I mean, he still had a very good game, but the Penn State defense was no joke. I mean, they were coming at him oh, yeah. all night long. I think it showed a little bit more vulnerability for their offensive line for Ohio State. They just could not handle Penn State up front for the majority of that football game. I mean, shoot, Dwayne Haskins was making throws off his back foot left and right, which were impressive, but you're not going to be a consistent quarterback if you're throwing off your right foot and not be able to step into the football. But great play call, though. They understood, hey, listen, we're getting a lot of pressure. They're blitzing. Their front four is dominating right now. They started implementing some screen passes, which to be some big, big plays in that football game. But you can't take away Trace McSurley, and we talked about at the beginning of the show, his ability to just create plays. I mean, shoot, he had 175 yards rushing. And that that's one, him being an excellent athlete. And two, I thought was just play bad play calling for Ohio State. And their defense not putting a more athletic spy in the game, a linebacker, an extra safety, not a linebacker, but a more athletic linebacker, a nickel, an extra safety, someone who can compete with him running. And, and they just didn't do that. And that's what kept this game close. But like you said, better coaching, better play calling at the end of the game. And Ohio State, that's a huge win on the road. I mean, that place was that was nuts. Oh, yeah. I mean, watching that game the whiteout and when they put like their phones on that was sweet that was a really cool stadium to see watching the game like man that is 
wish I was there. I mean, I've never been to that stadium, but I'm sure that night was a special night. Uh, unfortunately, they lost, and, and, and for fortune for Ohio State, their 5-0 and escaped a big, big potential loss on the road, um, and they look good. They look good offensively, defensively. They found a way to win the game. Yeah, they certainly did, and, and that atmosphere in Happy Valley during a whiteout night game, it's awesome. I mean, that's one of the better views in college football when they do that, and, and Penn State uh, fan base certainly came out swinging we both picked Ohio State minus three and a half. They did win, but it was a thirty-seven to thirty-six game. Twenty-seven to twenty-six, I think it was, Aaron. Twenty-seven, twenty-six. Twenty-seven to twenty-six. Ohio State, a game that I admittedly did not see a lot of because there was so much going on Saturday night. Was the second game that we previewed? That was Notre Dame and Stanford. This one was at Notre Dame. You were high on Ian Book. I was high on KJ Costello and Bryce Love from Stanford. It was close in the first half, and then Notre Dame, wow, they just pulled away, and it looks like they have a clear-cut path to the college football playoff, Aaron. Uh, They look, I'll tell you what, they look like a a very, 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 very good football team. I mean, with Ian Book back there instead of Winbush, that team is so dynamic. It opens up the run game. So now you're so worried before, okay, now we just got to stop the run. Wimbush is in there. He can't throw the ball. We can man up on the outside. We can load the box. And this is going to be a low-scoring game. Now all of a sudden, things are wide open for this offense. And they look great. We know defensively that they're very talented on the defensive side of the football. They shut down Stanford all night long. And and I think Stanford was a little worn out from last week. I thought they'd be have a little bit more juice, but it is tough. Uh, a comeback win versus Oregon in overtime on the road, turn around and play at Notre Dame. Um, they look good for the first half, but then like Notre Dame, I think defensively wore down Stanford in that run game. And then Ian book was just all night long. The throws he was making. My question is why wasn't he the starter? Day I was one? literally I mean, just if, about to ask you if, what if, took so if long. If you kn- If you knew he was this good, why wasn't he playing day one, first game? Did he not show enough in spring? Did he not show enough in fall camp? I don't know, but this is literally night and day from Winbush, and I don't know how the coaching staff didn't see this months and months and months ago. It's interesting because Miles Boykin, who had 144 yards and one touchdown receiving, he was he quoted was after dominant. the game. Yeah, he, he said all over the place. He said Ian was ready for this. We knew he would be. Was tonight a statement to the rest of the country? I don't know, but I hope so. So it sounds like the players even knew and we talk about this a lot on the podcast like players know because they practice with these guys every single day it just makes you wonder why brian kelly took so long to start ian book but well lucky for them they're still now. undefeated and now they found their quarterback Absolutely. You know, they found their guy they're undefeated they're rolling right now confidence for that team is at an all-time high um they're exciting to watch i mean i i'll, I'll tune in and watch notre dame i think they're fun obviously they're going to continue being on prime time with that nbc contract so you're going to see plenty of them throughout the season you're totally right Notre Dame smokes Stanford number seven Stanford 38 to 17 and Notre Dame is probably going to get closer and closer to that top five ranking all right a couple more games to touch on Aaron number two Georgia welcomes Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt between the hedges at Sanford Stadium look Georgia got up 24 nothing Tennessee wasn't even getting the ball across the 50 yard line this game was boring and then Georgia takes the foot off the gas pedal makes a couple of stupid penalties that extends Tennessee's drive. Tennessee gets on the board. It got a little interesting late. I mean, not interesting enough for anybody to get worried, but Georgia wins 38-12, to 12, and 
It's crazy as a Georgia alumni, and I think the entire fan base would agree with us, Aaron. It's crazy how you go into a Saturday now, even a 3.30 game on CBS, and you're excited to watch the game, but you know what's going to happen, and you're kind of like, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't have to be locked into every single play because, like you mentioned at Alabama, this thing's probably going to be over by halftime. Georgia was up big. They were dominant. Yeah, the defense but, I mean, that, looked great, and then they just took game. it off. I mean, t- I, I disagree on that. I mean, this, that's not just every game. I think everyone knew. It's been like that, that so far. Ba- that, yeah, but I think everyone knew heading into this. Three, it's a 3.30 game, CBS, yes, but this is not a very good Tennessee football no. team. It's They're on the road against Georgia. I think everyone knew this game. I mean, it was a 31-point spread. Everyone knew this was going to get ugly. They just weren't going to be able to man up with Georgia. It is funny to me the grumbling that comes from the fan base when you oh, win by 26 it's points. Unbelievable. It's, it's like they're, the it, no day. one's happy that you're winning by 26. It's listen, it, yes, there were mistakes. Yes. There's silly penalties. Yes. Georgia could have won, could have won this game by even more, but be happy. You won an sec game by 26 points. And there was not even a, you won. And there was never a moment in that game where you were worried about losing it. Oh, you won. You dominated. Was it perfect? Was it super sexy? Was it exciting? No, but you won a huge SEC game. You're undefeated, and you continue to move down the train tracks in the right direction. Maybe you'll get a little bit of a sexier game versus LSU in a couple weeks, versus Florida in a few weeks after that. I don't know, but be happy that your team's undefeated and they're rolling now. They are rolling right now. I think one thing that everybody would would be uh, legitimately – afraid about or worried about it, it maybe it was just a lack of interest I don't know but the offensive line did not protect Jake Fromm and Justin Fields the way that they should have against Tennessee again this is a very 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 young football team and these guys are winning conference games by two three four touchdowns be happy with that and I think this is a team that will play better against better competition and in better atmosphere so listen you expect and I know them it to it's, it's- Sometimes it's hard to get up for games of where you course. know you're going to dominate. I mean, I still don't think, I don't think, and I believe this, that we've seen Georgia play their best game yet. I don't. I think when they play LSU in a couple of weeks, yes, you are going to see one. It's midway through the season, so you should have had the kinks worked out by now. But these guys are going to be so amped up and so juiced and so excited to get in there and play an elite football team like LSU. A Absolutely. team that's playing really, really well on both sides of the football. I think that's when we're going to say, okay, this is going to be fun. We're going to see Georgia put their foot forward. It's going to be like when they played in the SC Championship game. It's going to be like when they played in the Rose Bowl and then obviously the National Championship game. So I think that's going to be the coming out party. And then everyone can breathe a little bit more saying, okay, they're playing now at an elite level. We can calm down and relax a little bit. It's looking like college game day will probably be at LSU in two weeks. So you're right. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere, and Georgia will be ready to rock and roll. DeAndre Walker on the defensive side of the ball for the Bulldogs is really stepping into that kind of yep. leadership role. I thought Natrez Patrick looked really good last week also. Let these guys continue to develop. It's great to get SEC reps in-game and still win by 26 Listen, they're points. young. I love yes. what you said. This is still a very, very and, – and, and it was funny, Sharon and I were talking about Alabama and Georgia yesterday, and she's, God, they just look, you know, Alabama just so much bigger and stronger. And, you know, when I look at the teams, I was like, listen, yes, we've been recruiting really well. Georgia's been recruiting really well the past couple of years. But you got to think Alabama's been doing that for a long time. 
And the players you look at on the field, yes. those guys are juniors and seniors. They've had two more years in the weight room. They've had two more years of practice of getting developed. Just wait. Yes, you had two really good recruiting classes, but they still need a couple more years to continue to build that that line of talent. And now once you start seeing not just freshmen and sophomores playing, but juniors and seniors, yes. like I said, who have been in that weight room, then you're going to say like, okay, now this team is big, strong, physical, and even more dominant. I think there's still a couple of years away from getting to that Alabama type level um, of seeing aesthetically looking on the field and saying, okay, those are grown men out there. They're going to get there. They're, they're heading in the right direction. And, and I'm not worried about the future right now. No, shouldn't be worried about the future. And it will be fun to see Georgia match up against LSU in two weeks. They'll smoke Vanderbilt at home in week six. LSU goes to Florida. That'll be a fun one to watch. We'll definitely preview that. On Thursday's episode. Okay, so I picked Tennessee with the points there, plus 31.5. You gave them out, and I got my only victory of the weekend. So that was 1-4. and four. Again, Aaron was 2-3. and three. Let's touch on these last two games, Aaron, before we wrap this thing up. You picked Florida. You like Florida. I thought Mississippi State would respond after getting their asses kicked by Kentucky, and I was wrong. Florida gets the victory in Starkville, which is a hard place to play. Dan Mullen gets a little bit of revenge. I don't even know if I'd call it revenge, but he got a victory over his former team. So Florida continuing to get conference wins and Mississippi State, man, you called it. They're not not good. No, offensively, they're just not very good. Yes, they have a good defense, but that's that's not going to win you good. That's not going to win you SEC games if if your offense can't move the ball at all. I mean, Nick Fitzgerald, has not looked good this season. Just he, he's not there as a passer. I mean, straight up, he just can't throw the football at an elite level. I mean, he missed. Yes, his receivers missed a post route. I forgot what receiver it was from left to right. Missed a post route for a potential touchdown. But for the majority of the game, he just did not look comfortable. Uh, give props to Grantham. I mean, he was bringing blitz after blitz, exotic blitz. I mean, to finish the game, he brought a safety right down the pipe. I mean, pipe blitz, linebackers. Opened up the gateway, safety came right down and knocked Nick right in the face. I'm like, that was an incredible design blitz. But L- Florida, man, they look great. Felipe Franks, give him props. Going on the road, yes, he had the pick. I believe it was a, it was a, uh, went right through his receiver's hands a little bit, tipped up, picked off. But he looked really, really good. Um, good for Florida. That's a huge win. I was happy for Dan Mullen. I was like, man, that, that is a. That is a statement win for this program to go on the road against a raked opponent Absolutely. in a hostile environment and win the way they did. You can see this Florida team's moving in the right direction, especially it was going to be interesting to see how do they respond after losing to Kentucky. And they bounce back with some great wins, and they look like they're heading in the right direction. They certainly do look like they're heading in the right direction. I am officially off of Mississippi State, as you told me to be about three weeks ago. But I did not listen to you, so I'm listening to you now. You were correct. You took Florida plus 7.5. I laid the 7.5. I was wrong. Another team that you've been spot on with that I think I will buy into now, Aaron. This is the last game that we'll recap before we wrap this thing up. Kentucky smoked South Carolina at home. Again, I thought Kentucky was due for that letdown game after they beat up on Mississippi State, and I was including that huge Florida victory in there as well. But they take care of business in a big way, 24-10. to South Carolina scored late. This thing was out of hand, 24-3. to Terry Williams, Benny Snell Jr., 
Georgia's going there November 3rd, and people are already circling that game because it could come down to see who wins the SEC East. Now, tell me this. I was looking at the schedule last night, Aaron, before I get your thoughts on the game. Georgia plays Auburn the week before that game at home and then goes to Kentucky. So, interesting scheduling, and uh, wow, it's going to come down to it. Go ahead. If we want to talk about – I'm going to make sure I phrase this right. Georgia's the best football team in the East. Yes. Kentucky is playing the best in the East right now. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think Kentucky you. is playing the best football because I think they're playing very well on both sides. I mean, obviously, Benny Snell is kicking butt. Terry Wilson looks very good throwing the football, running the football. And then their defense and, and Josh Allen coming off the edge, that defense – is dominating. I mean, South Carolina, what Jake Bentley threw three, three interceptions. He did not look great. They couldn't get the run game going. Kentucky's defenses look great this entire season. The offenses looked really good the entire season, especially their ability to dominate the line of scrimmage. They're playing the best in the East right now. And maybe we're saying that because we're surprised. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out, am I just more surprised? So that's why I'm saying they're playing really good or are they just playing better? What are your thoughts? Uh, they're just a they're well. They're playing better right now because you see them playing ranked teams, right? And I think everybody has not bought into Kentucky yet, so everybody has to sit there and go like, "So I is did it just last a week. shock?" Is it I, I do. I think there is a bit of a surprise factor in saying, "No way, Kentucky can't do it again this week. They can't beat South Carolina. There's no way they're going to shut down Jake Bentley, Debo Samuel, and then they do it in a big way." So maybe, as you're stating, obviously Georgia's the I best team I watch, in the I East. Watch the game when I watch the game when Kentucky plays I'm like this team is just kicking butt they, yeah, they literally defense they look they, good. Every, every, every time they have the ball offensively or and then on the defense side of the football I'm just like this is a good football team I enjoy watching them I enjoy watching what they go out there and do so it, I listen I'd circle that game too if I'm a Georgia fan I think that's gonna be a fun game sandwiched in there at the end of the season and in Kentucky right now oh god at yeah. five and oh they they should be ranked – obviously, they will hopefully get ranked up a little higher this week. I got it right But the here. way they've been kicking – not just winning, but just kicking butt has been impressive. If they keep this up, that game inside Commonwealth Stadium will be one of the biggest Kentucky football games ever. And they're ranked yes. number 13 right now, and I was wrong a little bit earlier. Georgia plays Kentucky the week before Listen, Auburn. Th- they have one heck of a task this weekend, though. I mean, they got to go to A&M this weekend. Yep. And yep. we know how tough it is to play – at AM, the noise, the crowd, and, and we'll break this game down later in the week. But that's going to be a big test. Um, they got to play Vandy at Missouri. They should win those two games. And then Georgia, and then at Tennessee, uh, in Louisville to finish the season. So really, they got two big games left. I mean, this is a Kentucky team, realistically, that could be 10 and 2, 11 and 1, maybe 12 and 0. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but that's. That's that's a great season for them, no matter what, because like I said, they should be favored. They'll probably be favored this weekend, even though it's at the road on the road versus A&M. But look at like I said, look at their schedule. They will be favored in every game besides when they play Georgia. No, you're totally right. And everybody gave Georgia a, a bunch of crap preseason because of their schedule. But Georgia played at number 24 South Carolina at the time. They're going to go to LSU, who's ranked number five right now. they got to go at Kentucky, who's ranked number 13 right now. And then Auburn's in the top 10. They're coming to Sanford Stadium as well. College football, best game in the land. Week six coming up, Aaron. A couple of really good games that I am interested to talk about on Thursday with you. LSU travel. 
travels to Florida. We got the Red River Shootout, Oklahoma and Texas. And you just mentioned Texas that, playing good, baby. Yeah, I know. You just mentioned that Kentucky and A and M game. We will touch on those on Thursday. Anything on the way out, my man? No, what a great weekend. It was fun uh, to watch all those games. And, and it's just going to keep going. All these games every week mean more and more. All right, he's Aaron. I'm Drew. We will talk to you on Thursday. See you.